this time. <laughs> so Deborah, one of the judges, and if you have your Bibles with you, please open at uh, the fourth chapter of the book of Judges. So uh, Deborah was a prophetess and a leader in Israel. Um, God used her to deliver his people from a huge enemy with, with a huge army, with advanced weaponry, and um, just by faith and by his word. And today, I, I don't want to go into the theological details, like, for example, women leadership or something like that, but into the typology behind this story. And the subtitle is, Ten things you need to know about sin. The whole history of the judges reads like a TV series. I think Brandon mentioned this in his introduction last week. And each episode has the same plot, basic plot. And, um, but they differ in a few things. How God deliver, how, what kind of person he used, what we can learn from it. And um, in chapter 3, from verses 12 to 30, we read what happened in the previous episode. Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. God disciplined them for 18 years under uh, the Moabite king Eglon. God called a hero, a judge called uh, Ehud, and killed the oppressor by the sword of the judge in his own apartment. Then Ehud defeated the army, and then there was peace in the land for 80 years. And if I was the writer of the TV series, I knew what the cliffhanger, cliffhanger needs to look like at the end of this episode, right? I would... I would uh, because, I mean, there's the, the, the overall plot is, will they find their eternal peace in the land? Will they inherit the land forever as God promised? Will they eventually listen to God and live in peace? And everybody's waiting for that to happen. And at the end, I would put a cliffhanger where some bad guy, you know, starts to put up an idol again or starts to commit some injustice to, the, to someone else, right? And then stop. And then next uh, episode starts, right? And by the way, it's PG-rated, so it's for advanced Christians only. Um, Judges chapter 4, verse 1, goes on and says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. And you can hear the theme song playing behind it, right? Again, right? It's always the same thing when the series, when, when the episode starts, the theme song and the theme uh, is going to be repeated. And again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And in our TV show, you know exactly what is coming next, right? The cycle repeats. And um, I mean, I, I sometimes think, how stupid can this people be? How stupid can a person be repeating the same mistake, repeating the same stuff over and over again? 
But let's look at our, our own lives a little bit closer. Look, let's look at my life or your life. When temptation comes, do you really recognize sin for what it's really, what it really is? Do you look at it in a realistic way? What do you think when temptation comes? How far do you think really when temptation comes? Do you recognize what sin will do when you fall? Romans 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. So the result of sin ultimately is death. But also in this world, in a, in a more direct way, it has consequences. It destroys lives. It, it destroys marriages. It, it destroys ministries. And it produces shame and guilt. Remember Peter, when he looked at Jesus, when Jesus looked back at him, when he denied him. You know, it produces shame. Sin has huge consequences. And so that's already the first thing we can learn from the first verse. Look at sin for what it really is. It is destructive. And it is deadly. And even though you know it theoretically, you need to put this to practice. When temptation comes, you need to look at sin for what it really is. It's not that small thing that you can do again and have grace again. But here in the story with Israel, we learn God still cares about his people. He still cares. So he will chastise them again, teach them again, and he still cares about you. And he will go after you also. In Judges 4, uh, from verse 2, we continue. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Yabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Haroshet Hagoyim, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried out to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of a name I can't pronounce, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. So here we get introduced to um, the people involved. First, the oppressor, who God used to correct his people. It's Yabin, the king of Canaan, and his commander-in-chief, Sisera. And we're introduced to the current judge, which is uh, Deborah. She has a place under a landmark tree, I guess, uh, where people come to have their legal disputes settled. And um, she sits there between Ramah and Bethel. When you translate the, the two words, Ramah means um, hilltop or hill. And it's the same word used in the Psalms when it is about idol worship on the high, in the high places. And when you look at the word Bethel, some of you know what it means. It means house of God. So she sits under a tree between idol worship and the house of God. And her ministry is to 
point people to God, into the presence of God, to, um, to repentance, actually. And our way is not to run from sin. Basically, our way is to run to God. There's a difference. It's not to run away from sin, but it's to run to God. And Deborah is there to point away. And it is under a tree where the right way can be found. In this story, the palm tree, in our life story, it's the cross. And it leads us the way from sin to God, from Mama to Bethel. So that's point number two. You know, repent, go to the cross. And turn to God. This is how we deal with sin. Living in Israel was difficult in these times under the chastisements of, uh, of God. In chapter 5, we find a description in the Song of Deborah where she says, In the days of Shamga, son of Anat, in the days of Yael, the highways were abandoned. Travelers took the winding paths. Villagers in Israel would not fight, they held back until. Deborah arose. Until I arose, a mother in Israel, God chose new leaders when war came to the city gates, but not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. It says there was no leadership in Israel and the people were demoralized. There was no hope in them and they would not fight. And the highways were abandoned. And the Israel, Israeli people sneaked through the winding, dark valleys on small paths. And no one had a weapon or picked up his weapon to fight. In verse 2, we also read um, that Sisera, the commander-in-chief, had an army of 900 uh, tanks, chariots fitted with iron. And he crushed the, the Israelites with overwhelming military power. And while they were distant from God, they had all this cruelty over their heads and it seemed hopeless. And Sisera now is the type for sin while his king is a type for Satan. They have lies, Right? Don't believe the lies of the enemy. They have chariots and they have um, like overwhelming power, it seems. And sin seems to be overwhelming at times. But it's a lie. God is still stronger. And Point number three, don't believe the lie of the enemy. The sin, sin is not too strong. So now how to go through something that we think is too strong for us. As the story of Deborah unfolds, in chapter 5 we've read there was no hope. And we see that in, in the song of Deborah it says, until I arose, Deborah, a mother in Israel. And in, in this rising up is in chapter 4, verse 6. When she sent for Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kedesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take with you 
10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulon and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troop, troops to the Kishon Valley and give them into your hand. Deborah was an anointed, anointed prophetess, which means she need to, needed to listen to God and she needed to be right 100% of the time. God's plan that he told her is to deliver the people of Israel. But put yourself in Barak, Barak's shoes. You know, you have 10,000 men. Hardly anybody has a weapon. And there's an army of uh, many more soldiers with 900 tanks. What would you say? It seems overwhelming, right? Just go, Barak, she would say. I know you don't, have, you don't have any arms and your men are not trained, but you will, but you will win anyways. Barak's answer is in verse 8. Barak said to her, if you, go with, with me, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. <laughs> okay. So Deborah's answer is um, to that, I paraphrase, okay, if you want a woman as your leader. And uh, he, he gets uh, a lot of criticism when you read uh, commentaries, Barak gets a lot of criticism when you read commentaries. And I don't think it's very, um, it's not uh, how, the, how we need to read this story. I think it's a very wise answer he answered. And it's a God-fearing answer, I believe. So, the question now for the Israel people and for Barak is, is there still grace for me? Is God still for me? Is there still deliverance in the cross? And uh, I read the answer of, uh, of Deborah. Certainly I will give, go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you're taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into, hands, into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kedesh. There Barak summoned Zebulon and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. So the question in, in the typology I'm, I'm making here is, um, what is Deborah a picture of in this case? Who will go with you through the trial? The answer is obvious. Jesus himself through his Holy Spirit, with his Holy Spirit. He will walk with you. So your task is, point number four, to walk with God through the trial. He will help you where you can't believe that the cross is still enough for you. He will help you against sin, to say no, he help will help your unbelief, and he will hold your hand and walk with it through you, through with you through it. So, 
So next step, when we're almost through the trial, when we made it that far, there is the next danger waiting for us. And in this story also, the next danger is waiting. When we conquered sin once, probably a sin that bothered us for long, and we couldn't resist for long, and we conquer it once, you can get enthusiastic, right? You can say, yes, victory. And the next step is, is really dangerous. You can get proud. And that's what, what couldn't happen to Barak because he was not the one leading the whole effort and he was not the one who killed Sisera, really, as we read later. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So what is the responsibility of the believer? It's just faith. And faith has been shown here in this story by just um, facing the enemy. So I, I took point number five, humbly believe in God's deliverance, hold on to God's promises. So we continue in verse 12 in Judges 4. When they told Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Hashoret Hagoyim to the Kishon River all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. So now we are shortly before the confrontation. Barak was willing to fight. The enemy goes into the offensive with his intimidating armory. Last chance to give up. Would it not be much easier to give up now? Would it really make a difference if I sinned again? God will forgive me anyways. And doesn't Romans 6, 1 say, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it for any longer? Remember point one. Sin is always, even if it's the hundred and first time you sin, the same, you fall in the same sin, is always destructive. Always. That was point number one. And also remember point number five. It's, if you take the hand of the Holy Spirit, so to say, and believe in God's promises, he will deliver The way how God gave victory is very significant in this story. Let's read uh, verses 14 to 17. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Montabo with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Hashoret Hagoyim 
and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Yabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. The real enemy is not Sisera. It's the king of the Kenites, as I said, a type of Satan in this story. He has the weapons, right? He has, Satan has weapons, lies and manipulations and smoke screens. And the weapons of, of Sisera were the, the chariots made of iron. And Satan has his weapons also. But someone needs to ride the chariots, right? And this in, in this story, when we take it over into our lives and how we have to deal with sin, this is our own flesh that rides the lies of the enemy with our pride, our greed, our lust, right? Now let's look how God gave the victory. He sent a flood from the Kishon Valley. He let it rain in the mountains and the Kishon River flooded and, and, and the, the area got all swampy, so the chariots got stuck. And so God himself disarmed the lies of the enemy. And there's another uh, thing that is similar to our walk with God, because we are to drown our flesh, drown our flesh in baptism, right? When we get baptized, we die to sin, it says. We die with Jesus, figuratively speaking. We die with Jesus at the cross because we die to our old nature when we get baptized. And when we continue this, um, this verse in Romans 6, 1, the, the following verses, by no means shall we sin more, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism, baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live in a, a new life that we too may live a new life. So with Christ, we are dead to sin. The flesh is drowned as the, as the army of uh, Sisera. God won the battle for Barak. Sin has no power because we have died with Christ and the Israelites went after the army soldiers like 30 miles or something, uh, and through the whole valley there. Actually, the same valley that is mentioned in uh, Revelation later. And we are to chase sin every day. And that's what uh, the Bible means when it says, take up your cross daily. We are to kill our fleshly desires daily, we have to take up our cross daily. So that's point number six. 
On the cross, victory was won. Take up your cross daily. So now the story gets really interesting, even though um, a little too explicit in, for, for my taste. Um, so the commander-in-chief, Sisera, is still on the run. The army was already defeated. Sisera was on the run. And he went to the tent of Jael, as we read earlier. And from verse 18 we read, Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone there? You say, no. But Yal, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peck through his temple into the ground, and he died. Just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Yal went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the men you are looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with, his te with the tent peck through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Yabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. So point number seven, nail sin. And it already has been nailed to the cross, but you have to bring it there, right? Nail sin. Proactively kill sin. Romans 13, 14 says, do not provide for the flesh. It's a verse that spoke to me early when I, be, when I became a Christian very strongly. You know, do not provide for the flesh. And this is, can be very practically, right? It can mean remove everything from your apartment that causes you to sin. Everything. I know a guy who doesn't have internet at all because he can't deal with it. When I stopped smoking, also, I had to quit coffee. So I had to take away coffee. Even coffee itself is not a sin. But in order to stop smoke, uh, to smoke, I needed to quit coffee also because it cost me to smoke. Or flee situations that bring you into the flesh mode, right? Nail sin, wherever it, wherever it is in your life. Yabin, the king of Canaan, is still in reign. His army has been defeated. His commander-in-chief is dead, but he is still there. And remember, uh, Yabin, the king behind the whole chastisement, he, was, he is the type of Satan in our story. Even though sin has lost its power at the cross, Satan is still there, and he still tries. We read <clears throat> the last verse. And the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Yabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. 
So our, our effort should be to chase sin wherever it may hide in your life to, in order to live a holy life. And it's also spiritual warfare. And in Judges chapter 5, verse 3, we read in the song that Deborah sang after the fact, Hear this, you kings, listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. So, number nine is worship God in the victory. It's a very important part of this story. And then, point number ten, the final victory. You know, the season finale is yet to come. The victory over Satan will come. No, Jesus will have the ultimate victory over Satan. That's the point number 10. Eventually, when Jesus comes back, the final battle, the battle of Armageddon, is the same valley that this story takes place in. The final battle, he will lose also. And Jesus will win and will be free. So, when you're here tonight and you've just experienced victory over sin, remember my cliffhanger question. Will you be smart enough to continue like this? Humble? Walk with God in the victory of Jesus. Then you're free. If you're currently under chastisement, sometimes life feels that way, right? Grace is so much stronger. God still cares. And when you look at the numbers, at the figures here, uh, it was 18 years under chastisement and 80 years under grace in peace and prosperity. So God has a good plan for your life. And if you're in sin, repent and look to the cross. It points the right way to the house of God. Let me close with prayer. Father God, I thank you that you pulled me through this uh, sermon and uh, that you brought your message across. I, I pray that you would touch hearts and lead us into holiness, Lord. Give us um, strong faith that we believe into you, in, in your victory and that we walk in the truth that we've heard. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.